Welcome to Any Given You. This show is about all things college football, and on it you will hear insights, analysis, discussion, predictions, and stories of any given topic from any given time, past, present, or future. We believe that the stats are great, but the stories are greater. And you should listen if you have a passion for the game and what makes it great. We're going to talk about touchdowns and touched lives. Come with us on a journey that extends beyond the field of play. We will talk wins, losses, and coachable moments learned on the football field and taken to the classroom, workforce, home, and even the battlefield. Division one to division none. Five-star recruits to walk-ons, it doesn't matter. If it's college football, it's worth the story. I'm your host, Michael Megan. U.S. Army Ranger and a former college football player, and more importantly, a lifelong fan of all things college football. Whether you are a casual fan, a fanatic, a coach, a player, or just a person who loves great stories, then huddle up and commit at any given you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan, and we have an awesome show for you today, so let's get into it. We have been tracking on this Summer Dreams theme here for the last several weeks, and this is the fourth installment of that. For our first-time listeners, the Summer Dreams theme for this upcoming 2022 season is just basically taking a tour across college football and breaking down what each one of our teams should be excited about coming into the fall. What really stands out as what could be potentially very exciting to see for each one of these fan bases, for each one of these teams. Basically, we're talking about pros. We have absolutely front-loaded all the pros about these teams as opposed to sitting back and you know belaboring over what could potentially go wrong. We're taking a look at what is right with these teams. And so, so far we have gone through every major Power 5 conference and done at least um, over half the teams at this point. So we're going to try to press through and spend some time with quite a few squads this evening, like to try to close out some of these conferences and really wrap this series up uh, having done the research on these teams and give you some maybe some insight as to what you should be excited about this fall maybe some things that you didn't think about didn't know or maybe some things that you do know and you were hoping somebody would discuss about your team so let's get into it Lexington Kentucky with the Kentucky Wildcats and what we're excited about with this team is actually not the much hyped offseason uh, phenom if you will Will Levis with his high very high ceiling and high potential. It's actually what we're most excited about with this Kentucky Wildcats team is the consistent improvement that we've seen in this program under Mark Stoops since 2012 with a 78% win percentage in 2021 and they have elite level player development at this program. Year by year, they seem to be getting the most out of these guys. Mark Stoops has really made sort of his MO at Kentucky being take a guy who's a low-rated three-star, maybe two-star player, and get them to play up to four-star, even five-star potential by the time they've spent a couple of years in the program. Now we're talking about Kentucky getting pretty serious in the national recruiting with the 13th overall class coming in for this 2022 class. And that sort of player development with increased improvement and the fact that this school has improved in the win column year by year has sort of been a steady eddy, uh, you know, in terms of the overall total progression. Obviously, they have had years where they've dipped down to seven, eight wins, but the overall trend is trending upward for this program. Program. And player development is something that they do a really great job there. Now, as far as the team coming back this next year, they have a quarterback with an arm and mobility in the aforementioned Will Levis. A lot of folks are giving him a whole lot of love in this offseason. I don't know if it's like the second coming of like a Drew Bledsoe, just a big, strong, mobile, athletic dude with a with a rocket launcher for an arm. You know, uh, that. but it remains to be seen what he's actually going to be able to do this upcoming year. But he's, he's not coming into a completely barren situation, even though Wondell Robinson is gone you know they they do return Chris Rodriguez the, the SEC's leading rusher in the backfield they have tight end Keaton Upshaw coming back from an upper body injury that he suffered last year and those are great positions to have in a pro style attack especially you know one that's modeled off of what the uh, 49ers have done in the NFL that's the sort of pro style feel a lot of play action hitting the tight end you're going to see fullback sets you're going to see double tight sets 
a downhill power run game to set up the play action pass. And I think that, you know, when you are solid at quarterback, running back, and tight end, again, that complements that system very well. Defensively, they have a very good and experienced, they're very experienced at least and solid in their defensive core. They have super senior DeAndre Square coming back for another year to play a linebacker there. They've got Jordan Wright, Jacquez Jones, and J.J. Weaver to add some key depth at the outside linebacker position. And so Kentucky, again, you know, a, a, a team that has modeled itself after some physicality and whatnot. Uh, trench play matters at that school. And so run the ball, stop the run, sort of Kentucky football. I think that this year's upcoming team is just sort of a, you know, a quintessential Kentucky football program with some really high-end talented players sprinkled across the roster. Now, the good news for Kentucky coming into this year is their schedule, their friendly early schedule, right, again like they had last year. Uh, it should see Kentucky at 3-1 and one or maybe 4-0 and oh by October the 1st. But at Ole Miss is going to be tough for this team, I think, because of how they match up. An improved South Carolina will also be a tough test, I think, coming into this year. At Tennessee is going to be tough, again, because of style matchups and whatnot. Obviously, they still have to take on Georgia. And we don't know what this Louisville team is going to look like this year. I think Malik Cunningham is going to have a great year, and there's going to be some key defensive pieces that come back for that team. So probably a lot better than the the team they shellacked like 49 to 21 or something like that last year. Um, but again, though, how Kentucky fares in those types of key matchups, whether they play competitively or get some outright wins down that stretch, I think it's going to tell us a lot about Kentucky's progression from, you know, sort of this SEC gatekeeper role that they currently have to maybe something more and turning into a true contender. I mean, if you look at Kentucky, even last season, I understand by the end of the year, they got 10 wins. They went 10 and three. They beat Iowa. They edged out Iowa, you know, in the bowl game. Again, a very defensive, low scoring rock fight of a game. But if you take a look at, you know, their losses, they still can't get over that Tennessee hump. Georgia sort of toyed around with them. They had to drive the ball the last like seven minutes of the game and take a timeout just to punch a touchdown in for a moral victory at the end of the game. They are still very much sort of a gatekeeper in the division. And so when you look at the the games that they won, yeah, they won uh, against teams that weren't really that fearsome, you know, when you count up their wins versus where you count up their losses. So I think the key matchups, uh, again, of like the Tennessees, the Ole Misses, the Georgias, are really going to kind of tell you a lot about how this team is going to fare moving forward. But if Kentucky is able to keep their progression moving in the right direction, we could see this team become an actual contender in just a few years. I do want to leave a last note when we're talking about player development and how huge it is, again, at Kentucky. And what we are so excited about is, again, that inc- that increased recruiting with the player development to close the gap between them and some of the other actual SEC contenders. Over the last three years, Kentucky has had 11 players drafted in the NFL. That is fourth in the conference behind Georgia, LSU, Alabama, and Florida, and they do not or have not recruited anywhere near the level of those other programs. So that tells you what they do with their players and personnel at that program, and I'm very excited to see another year of development under the Mark Stoop system here coming into 2022. Let's go to Oxford, Mississippi and talk some Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss Rebels, and what we are most excited about moving into 2022 for this team. Again, a team that has progressed quickly under Coach Kiffin, and again, no stranger to the transfer portal, bringing folks to that program, being sort of a flagship program in the SEC for you know attractive transfers to come in and get SEC experience under their belt before taking a crack at going on to the NFL draft. And something that we're really excited about for this Ole Miss team coming into this year is the addition of not not only the transfers, but the level of the transfers that they have added to this roster to help ensure that there's not going to be a fall off of a cliff in terms of talent from what the 2021 Ole Miss Rebels were able to do. Now, the Rebels in 2021 were able to have a 10-2 and regular season, and they did go to the Sugar Bowl where they did lose to a very good Baylor team. Now, coming into this year, they have some serious, you know, they have some key losses, not least of which is their uh, all-SEC quarterback in Matt Corral. Again, a very dynamic player there in Oxford for the last couple of years. But the addition of eight 
of their transfers, eight of their transfers are four-star rated or better, and I think we'll continue to see kids go to this Lane Kiffin program for, you know, second chance you, if you will, uh, there in Mississippi, right? And so, you know, if you are talking about just not adding bodies to the roster, but key contributors to the roster, that's huge. And I can't stress enough the importance of keeping the impact talent high as Ole Miss is still 10th in the SEC in recruiting and 24th nationally. So right now as a great stopgap, you know, Lane Kiffin is bringing in these highly talented and highly touted transfers to the market. Now at quarterback, they have Jackson Dart and Luke Altmyer, two uh, what I would consider to be little proven to unproven products, if you will, especially in the SEC and for a full season. The offensive line, however, that they'd be playing behind is quite a proven product with four or five returning and they were pretty good last year so another year of development in this system here for this offensive line to gel I think they're going to have one of the better offensive line units in the conference for sure and then to replenish the backfield from the exodus of Jerion Ely and Snoop Connor. You've got running back Zach Evans, again, one of those four-star transfers from TCU coming in to run the rock. And you have Ulysses Bennett from SMU. And both of these guys are great change of pace and complement each other very well. Zach Evans, a big powerful type back, a sort of a bulldozer with some speed to him. Ulysses Bennett, a shifty kind of scat back to come out of the backfield. And uh, so a little bit of flash and smash there. They have also added tight end Michael Trigg, who is apparently some kind of freak show monster, had a very strong spring game for them where he caught three touchdown passes you know, in that contest, and he's just sort of oozing with talent. And the funny thing is, is he's not even the projected starter. So when you have that sort of depth and, you know, kind of playmaker waiting in the wins there, uh, you know, he doesn't have to come in and be your day one starter, but you can move him in rotationally and move him all over the field. I mean, he's a great chess piece to have there for that offense. And then defensively, Again, I think this unit will come back with one of the strongest secondaries headlined by guys like Otis Reese. Again, the playing that um, star, that star nickel position, that sort of uh, linebacker safety hybrid. Uh, again, a, a talented guy with a lot of upside there. And then uh, three all-conference defensive players have also been brought on to this Ole Miss defense uh, by way of other conferences. Uh, guys like Ashim Young from Iowa State, who was all Big 12 freshman defensive player of the year. Transfer linebacker Troy Brown, a three-time all-max selection to fill the void left by Chance Campbell. And junior linebacker Kari Coleman, a TCU transfer, was the Big 12 co-defensive freshman of the year in 2020. So again, these guys are not only transfers, but they're quality bodies. And like I said, this is really huge. This is huge because at a program like Ole Miss that is building for future success under Lane Kiffin, this year you don't want to spend it going backwards. You don't want to backslide because of an exodus of talent. Now in the modern game, it's afforded you the opportunity to go out and address roster needs right now, very similar to how they do in pro football. So again, with their schedule taking a look at it, they do get Auburn at home. They get Kentucky at home as their cross-division draw. Uh, in the SEC there. They get Auburn at home. They get Alabama at home. So, um, you know, they do have a couple of tough road tests there at Arkansas, at A&M. They also get Vanderbilt in their cross-division draw, which is great. And then in the Egg Bowl, they're actually hosting it this year. So if you're talking about a team that's been able to address roster needs at a high level, at with a high level of talent anyway, with a friendly enough schedule, this could be a very good year for the Ole Miss Rebels as long as they all gel. The problem with mercenary teams is sometimes the the very strong personalities don't end up gelling the way that they should. They don't have the kind of continuity the way that they should. And because you have sort of a mercenary culture there, it can fall apart quickly. The best thing that they can do is get off to a hot start and they can't miss at quarterback. Whether or not they go with Altmeyer or Jackson Dart, I would assume that it's probably going to be Jackson Dart in the fall, but who knows. But again, they need to hit at quarterback, and this mercenary squad needs to gel to avoid total disaster here in 2022. We will see what the lane train is bringing to the table. Let's talk about Ole Miss's arch enemy, Mississippi State Bulldogs there in Stark Vegas, and uh, what to say about them. Well, the good news for Mississippi State is 
the offense took a significant step forward in 2021 as opposed to what we saw in 2022. The air raid system there under Mike Leach is now entering its third year, and the Bulldogs have an arsenal of wideouts for quarterback Will Rogers to target. This is good news because their secondary is going to leave Mississippi State susceptible to the big play, and I would expect that this team is going to have to find wins by throwing punches and bunches. I would probably bet a lot of overs in Mississippi State contests, especially when they go against other dynamic offenses, because I think that secondary really this year is going to be pretty leaky. But if the offense gels, it could give some serious problems to teams like Arkansas, LSU, Kentucky, and Auburn. However, against teams with speed and talent to match with Mississippi State's schemes, it could still get ugly. Now, for this team, getting right with this system is absolutely crucial because Mississippi State has the toughest schedule in the nation according to various metrics across a lot of different publications. But also the expectations for Mississippi State are sort of reasonably high and this is because not only of the comfortability of the system now with Will Rogers and his myriad of receivers to throw to and guys like Leadric Griffin who when healthy can give Mississippi State one of the most lethal kick return threats to help with all that hidden yardage on the field but also because they're non-conference schedule games, which should be extremely winnable. I mean, they have Memphis to open the season. They're hosting them. Now, I know they did lose the Memphis last year on some absolute clown shoes stuff, but I would assume that coming into the year, hosting them in Starkville to open the season, I would assume Mississippi State finds a way to win that game. Then they have a road game at Arizona again. Arizona, a team that plays hard but is nowhere near even close to as talented as what they have there at Mississippi State. So, again, should be a win. They have Bowling Green. They host them, and they host East Tennessee State. So right there I'm looking at what should be four wins for this program. They just have to find a way to squeak a, squeak a couple more. Uh, I would assume that this team absolutely goes bowling this year. I would assume also that this team probably knocks off one or two teams that they're not supposed to beat, as we've seen sort of in classic Mississippi State fashion under an I say classic with a grain of salt because it's only been two years under Mike Leach. But again, what we've seen from this team under Mike Leach is sometimes they wind up looking like world beaters and then other times they end up looking like clowns again. So, But breaking it down, what you should be excited about for this team, again, not only the ne- the next progression of the air raid offense you know, coming into the season, but also this defensive front for Mississippi State. I just talked about the leaky secondary, you know, what the potential problems that they could have back there, right, because of, again, Mississippi State's mixture, you know, their, their secondary has a mixture of concerns with, with Martin Emerson and the NFL. Mississippi State needs someone to step up at cornerback alongside Emmanuel Forbes, and then they need to figure out the safety situation as well as Colin Duncan and Sean Preston both need to play better back there on the top end of the defense. However, their defensive front should be pretty stout and should really give you know offensive lines in the SEC quite a bit of problems When you're taking a look at who they have there, they're very deep up there. They have guys like Randy Carlton and Cameron Young, DeMonte Russell. They have Jordan Davis Sr. back uh, from ACL surgery. And again, so, you know, this is actually previewed as one of the better front sevens in college football. And if you are able to, you know, control the line of scrimmage and deal with that and win in the trenches, you, you have a shot. You know, you can protect a suspect secondary with a very strong and overwhelming front seven. I mean, you can ask the defending national champion if that's the case. You know, I mean, honestly, that is what Georgia dealt with this past year. An overwhelmingly talented and suffocating front seven sort of protecting, you know, a a less, I guess you could say, a less dynamic secondary. You know, obviously no slouches on their own back there. But again, you don't see this kind of success, that kind of success for that secondary without the overwhelming front seven. And that is what you could see out of this Mississippi State defense. And again, with this offense able to score and, you know, hopefully take another step forward in the progression, we could see a fairly formidable Mississippi State team. Again, the non-conference is very, very friendly. They just have to find a way to win against the the Texas A&Ms and the Arkansas, the Kentuckys and Alabamas and Auburns of the world. And, uh, you know, I, I like them to be able to pull the upset on at least one or two of those teams, but time will tell. 
The Missouri Tigers, I have these guys as the quietest team in the SEC. A lot of people forget they even exist in the SEC. And they, they last year they had was quite unmemorable. They finished 6-7, and 3-5 and five in conference, and when it wound up uh, losing a bowl game to Army, which, by the way, we called that one thing. Yep. Anyway, I move on. I digress. What are we excited for with this Missouri Tigers team? here in 2022 i mean you like if we were to go down the key losses of this team talking about guys like connor basilak at quarterback tyler Beatty, their sensational running back their center michael mayetti their right guard chase cook defensive tackle makai wingo transferring to lsu cornerback at caleb evans then a slew of other guys as well in the transfer portal outgoing also incoming into this missouri team this this fall what what are we really excited about what are we looking at i mean if you take a look at what this team has done over the last 10 years and in terms of their winning trend they've sort of been up and down i mean they had some very solid years in 2013 2014 i mean coming really coming into the you know the 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 SEC early and actually representing the SEC East uh, in in Atlanta two consecutive years. I mean, and then after that, you know, uh, really mediocrity for a lot of years. And so what, if anything, is there to be excited about this team? Well, I actually look to the defensive side of the ball is what I am most excited about when we're talking about this Missouri Tigers team. Now, that's funny if you are familiar with Missouri and you know anything about them from last year because let me read off these uh, defensive rankings here for you. In scoring, they gave up 33.8 points per game. That was 113th nationally rushing. They gave up over 220 yards a contest. That was good for 124th in the country. Passing was decent at 206 yards a game good for 29th but if you can run it on them the way you could why would you even bother really throwing the ball and then 105th nationally for points excuse me four yards per game with 443.2 uh just not great defensively and that's the why why would i say i'm excited about what they have defensively well this is why. Um, Trajan Jeffcoat and Isaiah McGuire, these two guys will be bookend defensive ends for Missouri. Six foot four, 277 pounds. Six foot four, 272 pounds. They both are four seven guys off the end. Sort of prototypical four three type, um, you know, defensive ends, hand in the dirt defensive ends. We have uh, Trajan Jeffcoat actually passing on the NFL to build on what has already been a pretty good career for him at Missouri. We have Isaiah McGuire returning for his senior year. He was the sack leader last year. He was the most productive pass rusher for Missouri. Only six sacks, but 37 QB pressures. And we could see this year turn the corner for these guys. Uh, especially for Isaiah McGuire to turn those pressures into sacks and then Trajan Jeffcoat to continue to play at a very high level off the edge. Missouri, if they can up this sort of pass rush to affect the passer, they have some pieces in their secondary that are actually pretty good. Um, they have guys like Chris Abrams Drain. Uh, you know, he's a breakout playmaker at the nickel position and moves outside. We have Martez Manuel at strong safety. We have J.C. Carlisle at free safety. He actually led the team last year with four interceptions. Uh, this is his first year as a starter. So if we can up the pass rush you know, from that defensive front with the talented secondary that you have there at Missouri, we could see opportunities for this team to start kind of raking up the takeaways. Even last year with this horrendous defense, their turnover margin was plus three. I think with an improvement across their pass rush and the secondary being opportunistic and sort of playing hand-in-hand, hand, one hand washing the other there, we could see a Missouri defense that could be one of the most, if not the most improved in the conference here in 2022. Time will tell, of course, but if you are a Missouri Tigers fan, I think you do need to be pretty excited about 
what could be a pretty dynamic duo there in bookend defensive ends in Trajan Jeffcoat and Isaiah McGuire. Watch out for those two names to show up in your stat lines here in 2022. Let's go to Nashville, Tennessee, and we're not talking country music. We are talking the Vanderbilt Commodores, a team that we don't we don't give a lot of love to on this podcast because, um, you know, to be honest with it, they're not really deserving of it. I mean, if you take a look at their totals of where they have ranked in every major statistical category over the last several years, they have just been bottom of the barrel in almost every single one of them, you know. They are an SEC team pretty much solely because of what they do in baseball, not in football. However, they are a part of the conference. They are the last team I have to close out in the conference, so we're going to talk about them. And what can we be excited about for the 2022 Vanderbilt Commodores? When I take a look at what I'm excited about, honestly, I'm excited about the youth movement here in Nashville. They have signed a recruiting class that ranks 34th nationally. One of their highest recruiting halls, I think, of all time. Uh, And when you take a look across this roster, you know, able to land two four-star recruits, 26 three-star recruits, I think what Clark Lee and staff have done there is a really good job of player evaluation. Funny enough, Another fellow podcaster, former podcaster on the Cover 3 podcast, CBS Cover 3 podcast, Barton Simmons, is now the general manager there for the Vanderbilt Commodores. Funny enough, you know, a guy who spent so much time analyzing and breaking down all things football was extended a job there uh, actually in the front office. So if anybody uh, of note is listening and looking to hire anybody in their front office, just go ahead and send me a, send me an email at anygivenyou at gmail.com. I'd, uh, that'd be great. Um, you know, let me know. Uh, until that day comes, I'll continue to do this and uh, not quit my day job. But either way, when I look down this recruiting class, what really steps out to me, what really point, you know, kind of jumps off the paper here is what they have done in terms of recruiting body types. Actually, I'm really excited about this because it looks as if Vanderbilt has decided to go with some length and strength on this roster. I mean, we're taking a look at interior defensive line that are six foot six, uh, six foot five, six foot six. We're looking at edge players again, six six, two hundred twenty-five pounds, and a guy like Darren Agu. We're taking a look at uh, linebacker position in Bryce Cowan, who's 6'4", 205 pounds out of Tallahassee, Florida. We're taking a look at a defensive lineman like Yelanin Altura, who is uh, 6'7", 274 pounds, and they actually went all the way over to Cologne, Germany to get this guy. So again, kind of the deep cuts, if you will, in player evaluation. And I think a lot of these guys are going to see the field this fall because blowouts work two ways, right? When you are the team blowing the other team out, you tend to rotate in the backups. And if you're already losing by five touchdowns, which I think they will be in that position come this fall, unfortunately, more times than just one off, uh, you can rotate in that youth at that point. You know, second half is for developing that that under that underbrush talent, if you will. And I think that they have a lot of good young players here that they're going to be able to see the field. The current topsoil of the Vanderbilt roster does not have SEC size. They do not have SEC speed. And again, we can attribute this to some pretty lousy recruiting in the last couple of years of the Derek Mason tenure there. However, they do have a couple of impact guys on the defensive side of the ball in particular in linebacker Anthony Orgy, um, a high school safety, actually. Again, one of these players that they went out and recruited just the body type and the athleticism to see what they could do with it. He played some of that position at Vanderbilt before finding a permanent home at linebacker. Now, a year ago, he led or tied for the team lead in unassisted tackles with 54. His total tackles at 92. He had 13 tackles for loss. He did add a forced fumble to that stat column there. I think he's one of the team's better athletes, and he has a shot to make an NFL roster uh you know coming off the good a strong senior year again I, I would say I would say this guy would be a very late round draft pick even with having a great year here at Vanderbilt potentially in 2022 maybe unsigned free agent but he has NFL he has the ability to to make a 53-man roster I think in my opinion and then again we have another guy in an emerging star at cornerback in Jalen Mahoney who has been solid ever since his arrival at Vanderbilt he set career highs last year he made all 12 starts. He had 53 tackles, 41 solo stops. He did manage four and a half tackles for loss. He had two sacks. He defended 
six passes, had two interceptions. So, I mean, that is a very, very solid year uh, at that cornerback position. If we see him take a step forward, you know, again, that's two key cogs on the defensive side of the ball, which is also head coach Clark Ridley's specialty. And you can also tell the style of defense that he's wanting to play, uh, you know, with the Commodores in future years with how they've gone out and recruited some of this recruiting class. But I, you know, funny enough, you know, you, you're, you're not going to hear in a lot of places that people are excited about Vanderbilt's recruiting class, but I for one actually am because we could see some of these players splash onto the scene and take reps from guys guys that have just been substandard conference players for the last several years. We could see a youth movement there at Vanderbilt where it might not be pretty here in 2022, but the valuable reps will uh, you know, sort of matriculate some future success for this Vanderbilt Commodore squad. And for one, I think it would be kind of interesting to see them stir the pot a little bit, emerge as a team maybe in a couple of years, that could be a five or six win ball club and somebody that you actually have to consider, you know, a little more than a welcome mat in the SEC East. And that closes out the SEC on our Summer Dreams series. I never thought I would get through this conference, but let's move on to the ACC. Let's go to the 770 and 404. Let's go to the ATL, A-Town, to talk about Georgia State. No, I'm just kidding. Georgia Tech, the second best team in Atlanta. (laughs) What to be excited about for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets? Well, we're looking at Jeff Collins entering another year, so he hasn't been fired. So you're not restarting your coaching search again. Again, this is now Jeff Collins' third year entering uh, the uh, Georgia Tech program there. You also have a quarterback in Jeff Sims entering his third year as the signal caller there in Georgia Tech. Again, a dual threat or what was considered a dual threat quarterback. I think I consider him more of a scrambling quarterback because of probably, you know, it's not that he lacks the arm talent. It's just, again, it's it's Georgia Tech, man. I mean, it's just it can't really get right. His turnover margin has not been great. His decision-making downfield hasn't been awesome, but he's also not had the luxury of sitting back there and sort of picking his poison like some of these other quarterbacks have been able to do with more competent offensive line play, more talent on the roster, and easier schedules, to say the least. Um, Now, he will have a decent pool of skill players to work with returning running back like running backs like Hassan Hall and uh, Dante Smith will be in the backfield. Also, wide receiver Malachi Carter is poised for what could be a breakout year for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and also a very deep and versatile tight end room. The problem is is their offensive line is pretty much non-existent, losing four of five and not returning basically any continuity at that position. And it was a unit that already wasn't great. And when you're talking about, like, for example, a unit that wasn't great the year before kind of replacing everybody on the defensive side of the ball, more often than not, that's that can be a good thing. However, with something like offensive line that takes a long time to develop and gel, it's rarely a good thing. Even if the line the year before was not great, losing four out of five is really tough to overcome. The defense, talking about the defense, returns just three starters, but the Jackets had a horrendous defense in 2021, and they actually really might be better having to replace eight guys on that side of the ball. Because when you're talking in terms of what haunted the Yellow Jackets last year, I think there was a lot of quit factor down the stretch, especially when they saw just how difficult their schedule was, having to take on the likes of Clemson, having to take on Georgia, you know, in the same year. That that is a really tall task and really tough task for a team like Georgia Tech that is still trying to claw its way out of the triple option Paul Johnson years transformed this roster into more of a pro style attack. And all the while, you know, you have teams like Clemson and Georgia cooking with hot grease that are, you know, you, you have to, you have to take them on every single year in an ever changing, you know, climate. Uh, It's really, really tough to, to build this continuity. And I absolutely don't, envy the job that Jeff Collins has had to do there 
in Atlanta for sure. But on the defensive side of the ball, replacing those guys, like I said, a fresh inject uh, into that defensive side of the ball for the Jackets might be good. They do land some key transfers, one of which I will definitely talk about will be the Memphis transfer, Morris Joseph Jr. He's a defensive tackle and a huge plus, I think, to this Georgia Tech defensive attack because what he is best known for is his ability to get interior pressure, interior pass rush pressure, which is huge, absolutely huge. It's great to get pressure off the edge, but when you have an interior defensive lineman that plays in a one technique or three technique that's able to really get after the quarterback and affect that pass rush, affect the pocket, collapse the pocket, it allows you to do things defensively that it really opens up the entire sort of playbook to your imagination when you have a dominant guy inside. Now, whether or not his skills will transfer at Georgia Tech and against their competition remains to be seen, but he was a very good one at Memphis, and I think he's definitely value added to this defensive side of the ball for Georgia Tech. So what are we most excited about moving into this year for Georgia Tech? Ah. I don't know if stuff's really going to show up in the wind column. I think this could be a year that, again, I mean, even trying to focus on all the positives, it's really hard with teams like Vanderbilt and like your Georgia Techs because I think this is a year where the bottom could absolutely just fall literally off for this squad. But a three-year starter returning at quarterback – A revamped defense, even though replacing eight of those guys, maybe eight guys that will play with some better passion and effort and maybe gel a little bit better, and then a dominant defensive interior front. These are a few things to get excited about if you're moving into the 2022 season as a Georgia Tech fan, if you're on the roster. I mean, who knows? Maybe they play a little bad news Bears ball and it's just something, at least it's entertaining. Maybe they'll be that scrappy, you know, maybe five-win team that's a super pain in the ass, you know, hard to put away. I think if you could see it, I think that's honestly best-case scenario for Georgia Tech is maybe a team that flirts with going bowling. Maybe they go bowling. If they go bowling, that's a huge accomplishment for this roster coming in with this schedule. But Maybe a team that is just hard to put away, a high level of competitiveness and effort, a real pain in the ass for everybody on their schedule. That, I think, is something that you could build on for future success. And if that's the best case scenario in 2022, then so be it. In the same vein as Georgia Tech, we're going to take a trip to Durham, North Carolina and talk about the Duke Blue Devils, a basketball school traditionally trying to find its footing and play some football. And so what they did this offseason was they went out and they hired head coach Mike Elko, a defensive specialist, playing some uh, a role as the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame before taking a trip to College Station and being the defensive coordinator for the Texas A&M Aggies, building really good defensive units at both of those schools. And I think it was a good hire for Duke. When you take into consideration not only that they were 130th in the nation defensively, uh, it's also, you know, you go out there, you get a defensive guy, but you get a defensive guy who has spent time at what is essentially an Ivy League school in Notre Dame. You know, knowing how to recruit the very academically inclined, knowing how to get guys and keep guys in the program that, you know, has a higher academic demand. For the academics at Duke and Notre Dame, that's extremely comparable. What's not comparable is the level of talent, right, not academic prowess, but talent that you recruit there at Duke. And if you have a guy who has done that at a place like Notre Dame prior to, who can give that same sort of high academic powerhouse pitch to these kids and get this recruiting thing going, especially when you're talking in terms of the defensive side of the ball, getting those academically eligible defensive linemen, right? There is a fairly small pool that gets kind of divided up amongst the teams like your Notre Dames, like your Wake Forests, like your Dukes, like your Stanfords, those academic institutions that are very stringent. There's only a certain level of player and caliber 
caliber player that you're going to be able to influence to come to your school. And because recruiting the trenches is so important, especially defensive line, having a guy that can do that at your school that can potentially funnel guys in that direction to come to Durham over going to another high ceiling academic institution, that's really big. The track record speaks for itself, especially what he's able to do with player development as well. So I think that it was a good strategic move by Duke to bring in a guy like Mike Elko to that program with the understanding that if he is to build a Duke program that goes bowling consistently, and I think it's a great setup for him, right? The expectations at Duke are nowhere near what the expectations are at a Notre Dame or a Texas A&M. So if he is able to create a program that is very good on the defensive side of the ball, maybe turns into a little bit of like a an academic defensive hotbed, is a program that wins consistently six to eight games a year. I mean, he could stay at Duke for 30 years if that's what he was able to do. So I think it is an investment in the future. I think it is a long-term investment in this program. 2022 will obviously be his foundational season for his career at Duke, and I can't wait to see it. But I think what you should be most excited about for maybe the lone Duke Blue Devil that listens to this podcast. I think that they did do a good job with the hire of Mike Elko. Time will tell, of course. We, you know, I, I like the old saying that every, um, every coaching hire is a C-plus because you never know how it's going to go. You know, the, the most slam-dunk hires have turned out to be some of the biggest flops. Some of the hires that people were most upset about went on to have great careers. So there's really no telling how they're going to gel with the program. But Mike Elko, defensive specialist and a guy that's used to recruiting that Ivy League caliber talent, I think was a great pickup for the Duke Blue Devils in the offseason. Let's stay in the ACC and let's go up to Charlottesville and let's talk a little bit about the Virginia Cavaliers coming into 2022. A lot of changes with this team. We have head coach Bronco Mendenhall retiring in steps Head coach Tony Elliott, the former offensive coordinator at Clemson, has spent the last decade or so on Dabo Sweeney's staff there with the Clemson Tigers, comes in as the head coach, and he inherits a situation, I should say, that is um, it's definitely a program in flux, right? So we're talking about a defense last year that was pretty god-awful. This team went 6-6, six and six, but it was largely – because the offense carried the team and carried the entire season on their back. You had a Virginia Cavaliers team that ranked very much near the bottom defensively, giving up 31.8 points. That's 104th nationally last year, 466 yards, good for 121st in the nation. And surrendering over 220 rush yards again, that's good for 123rd in the country. Meanwhile, you have Brennan Armstrong. After being named a third-team All-ACC selection, and mind you, this is a conference that is rather full with some decent quarterback play. When you're talking about guys like Devin Leary, you had Tyler Van Dyke from last year, you have Phil Jerkovic, excuse me, you got you have quarterbacks in this conference that are very talented. So to to be third team all ACC is really nothing to scoff at. I actually think that they kind of snubbed him a little bit. Armstrong set school records for single season. I mean, he passed for 4,444 yards. He had 4,700 yards of total offense, 326 completions. He had 31 touchdowns. Now, he did have 10 interceptions, but again, that's a 3-1 to one touchdown-to-interception ratio. That's not too shabby. You know, he had uh, 251 yards on the ground and nine touchdowns running the ball. So, I mean, he led the ACC in both passing and total offense last year. And coming into this year, that is a hell of a player to be able to build your team around. This was a guy that had NFL interest last year, but I guess when he got his NFL grade back, he wasn't, I guess, thrilled about it. So he has returned for another year, orange and blue. And I think that he is primed again. He certainly has the the surrounding skill talent around him. He has wide receiver Keaton Thompson ready to go off. He's got, you know, he has the, the chess pieces in place to be able to put up big numbers However, the offensive line is gone. I mean, all of them gone. All five guys that 
were able to protect for him last year, were able to old, you know, open up those running lanes that I'm sure that attributed to a lot of the success last year. They're absolutely flat gone. And again, when you're nursing a defense that was god-awful last year, you know, even if you go completely back to the drawing board, you still have to find the personnel and the good scheme fit for that. So I'm not sure how this Virginia Cavaliers team is going to fare this year. I mean, they have had a lot of guys go into the transfer portal. They're actually quite worried about Brennan Armstrong going into the transfer portal himself, but he has stayed loyal to his alma mater. And again, he's an extremely, extremely talented player in terms of what he's able to do with his arm, what he's able to do with his feet, the moxie this dude has, the swagger this guy has. I mean, he plays a lot of YOLO ball out there, you know, chucking it around, just going for it, no risk it, no biscuit. But again, how is this going to fare with having to retool the entire offensive line? Who knows? defensively I'm not sure what we're in store for and we have a first-year head coach and a first-year staff so it could be a complete recipe for disaster or it could be really entertaining to watch this team this fall and see what kind of heroics a guy like Brennan Armstrong brings to the table to try to get a win for his team I hope that the he doesn't have a disastrous year you know to where we look at a situation where the offensive line is so bad that you know he can't even finish the season healthy Uh, I I hope that that doesn't happen for this young man because he is very entertaining to watch. And Virginia's offense this past season in the 2021 year was really fun to watch. You know, what they were able to do with their formations and moving around and pre-snap motion and everything else. But it'll be really interesting to see what this offense looks like coming into this year. But again, Brennan Armstrong, his talent and, uh, you know, the, the connection he may have with a receiver like Keaton Thompson, again, a dynamic playmaker in his own right, has me the most excited for this Cavalier squad this fall. Let's close out the ACC and finish with the Syracuse Orange taking a trip all the way up to New York. This was a team that was decent last year on the gridiron. They fell just short of a bowl appearance. But the good news is that much of their roster will return for another round in 2022. In fact, they have the nation's uh, the nation's ninth returning production as of the 23 May list scrub. They're actually right behind NC State in the conference and nationally. NC State at number eight at 82% returning production for the roster. Syracuse at number nine with 80%. 17 of last year's 22 starters will return to the Orange this fall. And while it's not the most consistent ACC roster across the board, both sides of the ball have their share of impact players. I think that we need to talk about Sean Tucker. This might be the best running back that you may not have ever heard of. Again, he had a record shattering 2021 with 246 touches for 1,496 yards. That's good for a 6.1 yards per carry average. He had 12 touchdowns last year. He also caught 20 passes for 255 yards and two more touchdowns. Just sensational, sensational player for the Syracuse Orange last year and a guy that you can build your offense around especially with you know them being a turf team the the speed on turf is a little bit different you know and they honestly with him in the backfield last year were one of the best shows on turf that you could get and speaking of show on turf they do get 7 of their games here in 2022 at home teams like Notre Dame are taking a trip to Syracuse NC State takes a trip up to Syracuse to face the Orange so Very cool for them, very nifty scheduling to allow them seven home games. All of this production on both sides of the ball and a bell cow back like Sean Tucker has landed Syracuse as the number 57 overall team in SP Plus rankings coming into the season. And they should be primed to have a better year than what we saw in 2021. Uh, Again, not a horrendous year for Syracuse, uh, by Syracuse standards especially, but just a game short of bowling. I think that coming into this year, they may be a safe bet to potentially lock up a bowl appearance 
Uh, but again, they're going to have a tough schedule. They do have to take on Clemson. They got to take on NC State. They're taking on Purdue as their Big Ten draw. They have to take on Notre Dame. So it's going to be a tall task. The, the schedule is tougher, but they do get a lot of games at home this year with the seven home contests. And again, taking on teams like NC State and Notre Dame, you know, at home is a huge plus. Uh, for this team coming into 2022. Sean Tucker, impact player, definitely the guy to watch out for, though, for the Syracuse Orange. I think he could have a special year this year and be on the lips of more people here at the conclusion of 2022. And, uh, guys, that'll do it for tonight. We're going to cut this one a little bit short, having put the SEC and ACC to bed. We still have a couple of teams in the Big 12, quite a few teams in the Big 10, and a couple in the Pac-12 to round out our Power 5 Summer Dream Series here. And uh, I appreciate you guys joining me for the listen. If you have enjoyed what you've heard here on this podcast, please do us a huge favor. Get over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would be so kind, again, if you have enjoyed what you've heard, leave us a five-star rating and write us a quick review. It helps so much to promote the podcast to get the awareness out there of this show and help it to reach more eyes and ears. I feel as if we do a really good job on this show, giving a fair take, giving some really decent and very good analysis. I mean, the numbers the numbers don't lie, folks. I mean, if you go back and you listen to last season's episodes and some of the things that I said last fall, last spring that came to fruition, I mean, honestly, like they... It's all there. I saved the receipts. So you can go back and listen. I don't have to toot my own horn about what was correct or what wasn't correct. So I feel like our product is really good. We just don't get the kind of exposure that some of these other shows do get, unfortunately. So if you could help me out with that, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends about it. Please tell them to get over to the pod by way of Apple Pods, by way of Spotify, by way of Google Pods, by way of Anchor. Tell them about our Facebook group the uh, Any Given You Facebook group. We have a lot of fun there. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Any Given You is the profile. You can also send us an email with any comments, suggestions, questions, or otherwise to anygivenyou at gmail.com. Please uh, let us know what you think about the show. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given team, you get it at Any Given You. Any Given You.